A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message on the unity that we are called to share as believers. And we looked at the Great Commission, and we said that the order of the Great Commission is, is we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we do that before we teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, as Jesus said. In other words, we don't look at somebody and say, you know what? I need to teach you everything so that you obey all these things first. Get your life cleaned up, get everything ready, and then I can baptize you and you can follow Jesus. No, we make the introduction first. The Holy Spirit drives that purification process and we can trust God and the Spirit as a church to disciple people along and to work out that stuff that they need to work out. It's not something that the church should do on the front end of showing people Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about the invitational nature of the gospel and us as a church. Invitation is one of the primary heartbeats of who we are at New Stanton Church. Uh, I sense your passion to introduce kids teens, adults, seniors to Jesus. And I love that about you. Like, just, just say it. Uh, we do the discipleship thing too. Uh, we do teach the things that God told us to follow and that Jesus left for us. And that's awesome. But today, I want to dig into the idea of being invited into the presence of God. One of the worst feelings is not being invited. It's terrible to feel left out. I don't know if kids today do this, but back in my day, uh, if you were on the playground, man, you picked two team captains, and they were usually like the best kids at everything, right? And, and I remember that feeling of Picking teams. I don't know if you remember that being left out feeling, but I remember the anxiety of picking teams. I was blessed. I guess I was never like first pick, but I was never like last pick. But I remember that anxiousness of watching people be picked and standing in that line. I remember looking at people that I knew like, hey, <laughs> pick pick me, like subtly trying to say, uh, I, I'm over here. Like being left out is absolutely terrible. As adults, we're not immune to this dynamic either. Maybe you're scrolling Instagram or scrolling Facebook and you see some of your friends are out doing something fun and you think, why didn't they invite me? Like, why wasn't I picked to go? I thought I was on that team. One of my former district superintendents told me a story that I found both hilarious and sad. He went to visit one of the churches and one of the pastors that he was responsible for, and he slipped into worship and sat in the seat, kind of unannounced, didn't let them know the preacher was there, and he was preparing his heart for worship when he heard a voice say, you're in my seat, he said he looked up and looked at the individual and said, excuse me? And the person repeated, you're in my seat. So he said he got up and slid over 
He said he stayed in the same row. So when the preacher saw him and introduced him to everybody, he could look over and look at the person's face like, oh my gosh, I just told the district superintendent that he was in my seat. That's funny to me, but that's also sad. What if that person was a visitor that day who came broken and hurting, longing to be in the presence of God? And somebody said, you're in my seat. Do you think they would have just moved over? Or do you think they would have walked out the door feeling uninvited into the presence of God? Just because we're no longer kids on a playground doesn't mean we don't still struggle to fit in and feel loved and accepted and invited and embraced. This morning, if you have ever been made to feel unworthy, unwanted, or uninvited, I need you to hear a message from God this morning. Jesus invites people others reject into his presence. In Christ, you are always invited. In Christ, you are always loved. I want to look this morning at a really familiar snapshot from Jesus' life and then ask a question. And the story comes from Luke chapter 7. I want to give you some context for it. When Jesus started his public ministry, uh, everybody around him, everybody that encountered him, everyone that heard of him had to ask themselves this question, especially if you were Jewish. Is Jesus the promised Messiah? Is he the one, or is this guy an absolute whack job? I mean, when, think about it for a second. When Jesus came, he looked completely human, but he was walking around teaching, preaching, and claiming to be God's son. Part of the Israelites, the Jewish discernment process of that day, would be looking to the spiritual leaders of their day that they highly respected to see if they thought Jesus was the Messiah. Now, we kind of rip on the Pharisees all the time. We, we, their lack of faith, their obedience to law, they're, they're just trying to work righteousness, this thing. They don't know it's about faith. But in their day... They were the most educated, the most respected, the most faithful people in their day. Everyone would have looked to them in that culture to see if they thought Jesus was the Messiah, because surely if Jesus was, they would embrace him, and they would have assumed that the Messiah would have appreciated who the Pharisees were. They were the holy rollers of their day. The Pharisees kept clear of sin and sinners, and everyone respected them for it. So in Luke chapter 7, we see a very respected Pharisee named Simon who decided to throw a party in his home. Now, this was a regular thing. All the most respected Pharisees and religious teachers would have been invited, and they would come over to one of somebody's home, and they would sit and they would talk theology They would talk about the law. They would talk about how to obey it and the interpretation of it. And Jesus got invited to this party. 
So the Pharisees would have like checked him out too to see if he was the Messiah, hear his teaching, see what he was like. And in this, where they were, in the outer room, like common folks, everyday people would kind of sit around that circle and they would listen in on the Pharisees' party and their discussion about the law. And you would think, come on. People are really going to go sit on a porch and listen to a bunch of religious people talk about God. And the answer is yes. It would be like attending a conference or maybe a Bible study hosted by Andy Stanley or somebody famous and respected, except like it was free. It's interesting that Jesus would not have been seen as the keynote speaker. The Pharisees would have. So Jesus is sitting in this outer room, talking, listening to guests, and there's this sinner that crashes the party. Let's look in. Luke 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, we all know what they're talking about, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. That's a lot of sobbing, I'm just saying. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He, just an observation, okay? That Simon knows who this woman is. We're not told how he knows who this woman is, just that he knows who this woman, maybe, maybe it was because of her dress, maybe everybody in town knew who she was, but Simon knows who this woman is. He and every other Pharisee in that room would have been appalled when she walked in. She crashed their holy roller party. She was uninvited, unworthy, and she was touching their guest. Now, because she's like sobbing, weeping at Jesus' feet, you would think they would maybe get that she was repentant or that she was sorry or but that's not on their radar. She's broken and remorseful. All they see is a sinner. How did this woman end up doing what she was doing for a living? We don't know. Did her husband die? Maybe. Was she abused and taken advantage of when she was young and nobody wanted to marry her? Possibly. Was she born to a single mom who had no other option than to sell her daughter? Maybe. If she was like every other little girl, she didn't intend to be in this situation. This is not how she saw her future. Her life was shameful, dark, and full of disgrace. She was used by men and hated by wives everywhere. She was unclean, despised, and people stayed clear of her, especially the Pharisees, except maybe at night or in secret. She knew 
She was uninvited and unwelcome to this party. Could anything be more obvious? Simon thinks it in his mind. Oh my gosh, Jesus, if you knew who this was, you would not let her near you. You, you wouldn't let her touch you. But she walks into this dinner party and heads straight to Jesus, falls on her knees, worships, and sobs over him. She, she wets his feet so much that she has to dry them with her hair. She anoints him with this expensive perfume. In essence, this is beautiful, pouring out whatever she gained from her occupation on the feet of Jesus. The question is, will Jesus see her any different than her sins display her to be to everyone else? Will she be invited into his presence? Will she be able to live into a new life? Or will she be uninvited and rejected? Simon, the dinner host, is disgusted by the whole thing. And he thinks that Jesus is even letting this woman touch him proves that he's not a prophet, much less the Messiah, because surely a prophet would have some insight into the character of this woman and would tell her to go away. Would say, you know what? You're unworthy. You're not chosen. This is not your seat. Leave. The woman, I believe, feels those type of thoughts every single day. Jesus miraculously knows what Simon is thinking. He says this. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turns the tables on Simon. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has put perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests, the other Pharisees, religious leaders, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So that's the story. Here's the question. Why would this woman risk the rejection of crashing this holy roller dinner party? 
Why would, why would she go there? Why would she risk it? They, they could have stoned her. She knew they were going to judge her. Why did she go uninvited to the Pharisee's house, walk up into that room, and crash their dinner party? The text doesn't tell us this, but I want to speculate from the context a little bit this morning. I'm going to guess that this woman heard Jesus speak somewhere and got a taste, got the idea that he had unconditional love and forgiveness for sinners like her. I'm guessing she heard him preach or saw him heal some people that other people just rejected and stayed away from all the time. Let's assume that this woman heard Jesus preach the same day that she came and crashed this dinner party. Let's look at the, the verses right before her story and see what was going on in the life of Jesus. What was going on in Luke 7 is Jesus was actually healing people in response to John the Baptist's question about his being the Messiah. Let's look. This is Luke 7, verse 20. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist wants to know, sitting in prison. This is how Jesus answers his question, their question. At that very time, Jesus cured many people who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That those sinners who others would have rejected, those sinners who others would have said, who sinned, this person or their parents? Jesus responds by healing them. You look a little further down in that same dialogue, Jesus is using the opportunity to share with the Pharisees that they rejected John and they rejected him unjustly. Let's look at Luke 7. Jesus says, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, you Pharisees, he's possessed by a demon, the son of man himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, God sends you both type of individuals and you reject them both and you accuse me of being a friend of sinners. You know what I think this woman heard? Jesus is a friend of sinners. And just maybe... Just maybe I'm invited into his presence. Oh, you sinner, I'm your friend. You can come just as you are. Come to me, you're invited. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and sick of their sin, and I will give you rest. Come all who are weak and tired and broken. I believe she felt the love 
in Jesus' words and saw it in his actions. Where are you this morning? Who, who is it in the house? Who, who is it that feels unworthy, like you can't measure up, like you can't do it right, like you've fallen so many times that all you face is judgment? Where are you? You need to hear this word from Jesus. You are invited into the presence of God. Those others reject are given peace and forgiveness. You're invited when the holy rollers turn up their noses. You're invited if you struggle. You're invited if you don't have the right background. You're invited if you don't have it all together. Where are you? Because you're invited. I invite you to come to the feet of Jesus, even if you feel like you have nothing left. And in him you will find rest and peace and forgiveness. One lesson, I think, in this story for the church, for those who already know Jesus as Lord, pointing out this woman's sin did not have her overcome her past, didn't help her at all. Simon's judging her and avoiding her didn't change her. What changed her was an invitation to know the friend of sinners who offers grace and forgiveness and healing. Jesus came for the hurting and the broken. Repentant sinners who are willing to seek him and worship him, find him. In spite of their past, they're invited. New Stanton Church isn't perfect. <laughs> We're a bunch of sinners turned saints by the grace of God. But I think I can confidently say, no one here is going to tell you, you're in my seat. Because you're invited. You're invited. You're loved. And in the grace and mercy of God, he loves you. And we will love on you. God, as we come this morning, as we sit here in a relationship with you, we need to remember, God, that we were once broken, that we, we were once in need of your grace and forgiveness. And as a church, God, we need to extend that invitation. And we thank you, God, that no matter where we are, <laughs> You love us. So this morning, as we come to, to your table, God, we pray that this gift of cup and loaf would be for us the body and blood of Jesus. That as we come to the table, we would experience you. And God, if there is anyone in this room that has felt so defeated, so unworthy, so depressed, so far from you. I pray that as they touch this bread and drink this juice this morning, they would feel your embrace and know that they are invited and loved into your presence. God, others may have rejected them, but you will never. So we give you thanks. 
praise in Jesus' name.